John Newton was born in London and he was the son of a commander of a merchant ship which sailed the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, when John was 11, he, he went to sea with his father and began his sailing career, making six voyages with his dad before his father, the elder Newton, retired. In 1970, in 1744, excuse me, John was, was impressed into service on a man of war, the HMS Harwich. And upon finding the conditions upon that ship so intolerable, he deserted. Sailors don't do that. But he did, was soon captured and publicly flogged and demoted from a midshipman to a common seaman. Finally, at his own request, he was exchanged into service on a slave ship, which took him to the coast of Sierra Leone. He then became the servant of a slave trader and was brutally abused. Early in the year of 1748, he was rescued by a sea captain who had known John's father. John Newton ultimately became the captain of his own ship, one which continued to participate fully in the slave trade. Now, although he did have some early religious instruction from his mother, his mother died when he was a child. Newton had long since given up any religious convictions. But Newton would describe the day of March the 21st, 1748, as his day of great returning. You see, the 22-year-old was awakened that day by a violent storm. Cries from his crewmates sounded the alarm. Their ship, which was called the Greyhound, was about to sink. And as Newton scrambled up the ladder to the deck, the man that had reached the deck of him was hit by a wave and never seen again. Finally, making his way to the wheel, John Newton, the great blasphemer, as he called himself, he raised his head not to curse God, but instead this time to pray and ask God for his help. In the words that he had not used for many, many years, he began to plead that day at the ship's wheel. He asked for the Lord to please have mercy on us. Hour after hour, sustained only by his call upon God's mercy, Newton attempted to steer the battered ship through the violent seas. As down below, below the deck, his crew fought feverishly, attempting to plug the holes with bedding and strips of clothing. You see, when John Newton writes these words, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." He knew those words firsthand. You see, for 11 hours as the storm raged, Newton remained at the ship's wheel, not knowing if he would live or if he would die. Gradually, the winds did lessen that day and the storm began to calm. And Newton's desperate call for God's mercy had been answered. And grace, my fears, relieved. How precious did 
that grace appear the hour I first believed. For the rest of his life, John Newton marked March the 21st with a day of humiliation and prayer and praise for that was the day that his great deliverance from the sea and his life of sin he had been delivered from. Newton's dramatic conversion set him on a long winding path that would take him towards a new life, not one in one great leap, but step by step, day by day, moment by moment. Newton stopped swearing and blaspheming as his first major change. And he began to read the Bible. Captain Newton came home from the sea once and for all, finally stay in 1754 at the age of 29. It would be 18 years before he wrote his most famous of all hymns. During this time, he grew in faith and knowledge as he learned both the Hebrew and Greek. He also became friends with prominent preachers of the day, among them men like George Whitfield and John Wesley. Church leaders in the area eventually heard of Newton's amazing story and, and they began to invite him to speak at their gatherings. The idea that Newton may have had a higher calling, you see, was being planted. <laughs> He decided to apply for formal ordination, but he was turned down, but he didn't give up. See, Pastor John Newton continued to dip his quill again and again and pen words that would sum up his long journey. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. How can we make it clear that that this grace was was not a one-time experience, but it was something that was with him every moment of every day, the amazing grace of God. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. (laughs) As Newton approached death, his eyesight and memory began to fail him. And those who loved him would come by one by one to his bed to say their goodbyes. One of those closest to him uh, was was present the day that, that Newton made his now most famous declaration. As his friend stood near his bed, Newton declared to him that my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. John Newton died in 1807 at the age of 82 and Newton's tombstone reads like this. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. 
Though his life ended, John Newton's song continues, doesn't it? Performed by popular musicians as as well as pipes and drums, the song Amazing Grace has become one of the most beloved melodies in history. It was sung by freedom marchers and civil rights movements in the American South. It was sung before Martin Luther King gave the great I have a dream speech. It was sung with rejoicing in in South Africa when Nelson Mandela was released from prison. It was also sung in Germany when the Berlin Wall fell. It was also sung in this nation to comfort those mourning after the attacks of 9-11. What makes this song so great? Why do we still find ourselves singing the words to, to this hymn that was written so many years ago? Well, you see, the story of Amazing Grace reminds us that the same grace that transformed the life of a slave ship captain nearly three centuries ago can still change lives today. The true story of Amazing Grace is is a story that continues. You see, as long as there are people in need of hope and deliverance, it will have no end. It's a song that many of us can sing from memory. It's a song that many of us heard in times of loss of family or friends. But it's a song that ministers to our soul, doesn't it? Many who love the song Amazing Grace have, have little idea what is, what is so amazing about the grace that it celebrates. Many who sing the song, I think, have, have really little idea of what grace really is. But yet we still have this strong, strange sense in our soul that whatever that song is about, it has something that our soul needs You see, your soul needs grace. Your soul craves grace. And it's right for you to have that that hunger and that, that stirring within you. Because see, once you dig in and try to grasp what God's grace is all about, you really will be amazed. And I'm telling you, just like John Newton, you'll be changed forever. When you really understand the amazing grace of God. I think there's no better place for us to get the inside scoop on this thing called grace than in Ephesians chapter 2 from the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1, it it starts with bad news, but it ends with good news. How, How many of you, when somebody says, hey, I've got good news and bad news for you, how many of you start with the good news? Anybody? Nobody. Awesome. I, I, I want to start with the bad news. I, I just want to get it over with so that when you leave that conversation with me, I'm, I'm leaving on a good note, right? In fact, I would just be okay if we didn't share the bad news anymore. Is that all right? Yeah. Didn't your mama used to say, if you don't have anything good to say about someone, don't say anything at all, right? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 starts with bad news, but it ends with what I believe is the best news I've ever heard. 
And I believe it's the best news that you could ever hear. But look how it starts in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Sins. That word, let's just stop with that last word. It's not a very encouraging way to start a, a reading of a chapter. It's not good news for us because it says we're dead because of our disobedience. And it's, then it mentions this word that oftentimes you, you would hear in a setting like this, this word sin. You, you, you've heard balding, overweight pastors and they've even shaken their finger at you on numerous occasions talking about and just reminding you of how sinful you are, right? Don't we love that? Isn't that encouraging? I don't know, but no one has to point out my junk. No one needs to remind me of that. I, I, I know who I am and I know when I've blown it, but isn't that just what we do? We, we just point out sin. Well, it's, what is that all about? Is it just for the purposes of making me feel insignificant and like a loser? No, it's actually something very biblical. You see, sin are all of those things that, that, that we've done our way instead of God's way. It's really easy. If you want to know what sin is, sin is anything that you do that flies in the face of a perfect God and his will for your life. And his will for your life is good. God desires for us to be holy. And so anything that I do in my life, that when, when I draw a line and say, say, you know what, I'm going to do my way. I'm going to do this. And it, it goes so against what you want for me, creator, but that's okay. I, I, that's sin. Spiritually speaking, it's, it's our hijacking of our life from God and that it has left us dead, as it says here in Ephesians 2. That doesn't necessarily mean a physical death. What it means is that we're separated from God. You see, there is nothing, nothing greater knowing that there, was, there will never be any hope for me to receive life as I was intended to live it, to enjoy a relationship with the one who made me the creator, it's hopeless because of this thing scripture calls sin. You see, deep down inside, there may be somebody in this room right now that, 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 that's feeling right now, at this very moment, you're distant from God. John Newton was. He was taught the spiritual things. Thank goodness for a mom. How have you had a mama that taught you the ways of the Lord? But something happened in Newton's life, and it's probably safe for me to say that this could be testimony after testimony of those of us. We once knew the things of God, but something happened, and we kind of just wandered away from him, didn't we? Listen, no one falls away from sin. No one takes a big step and says, you know what, dadgummit, mama? I'm going to just turn my back on everything, and I'm just going to jump in it. No one jumps into sin. It's a gradual progression. It's a gradual moving away from the truth and before you know it you find yourself like John Newton did you find yourself so far removed separated from God the Bible continues here in Ephesians chapter 2 it says this you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers of the unseen world he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So here's the deal. So what that, my heart is controlled by one of two people, correct? Either the Lord God, the one who created me, or if it's not, guess who has me? The, the, the commander of the powers of darkness, the enemy. Where are you at this morning? Where are you 
at. Verse three says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Translation, here's what it is. We've ended up on the wrong side of God's wrath because we have defiled him. And in reality, here's what we've done. We've made ourselves gods in our lives. No creator, no God of heaven is gonna tell me what to do. I am my own man. Don't we hear that? Be your own man, be your own woman. You do what pleases you. And we've made ourselves gods in our lives. Listen, the stars obey him. The planets obey him. The the angels obey him. Do you know that even demons do what he commands them to do? We're the rebels. We're the rebels who dare to defy God's authority in the way we live with our selfishness, with our lies, even our anger, our lust. We defy God. We're the rebels by the way we treat other people because we do it our way. We do what we want to do. That's why this song this morning, that's why we started here. That's why this song is is so great. You know, God's grace is so amazing because it saved a wretch like me. You see, I once was like that. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. I was a wretch. You were a wretch. Translation for me, Jason. Okay, you asked for it. You were a scoundrel. You were a villain. You're a rascal. You're a reprobate. You're a criminal. You are good for nothing. You're a creep. You're a louse. You're a rat. You're a swine. You're a dog. You're a wretch. That means you're a low life. You're a scumbag. You're a scum bucket. Don't you love that? You're a scumbag. You're a sleaze ball. You're a sleaze bag. Whatever. You feel that's what it means to be a wretch. And make no mistake about it. Every one of us have been that, haven't we? We all have been labeled a wretch. But that's what makes grace so amazing. That despite my being a scoundrel, despite my being a sleaze bag or scumball or a dog or good for nothing, all oh, the amazing grace of God still reaches down and delivers me from that. And now I'm called a saint, an heir to the throne, a son and a daughter of a great king. I think you can clap for that. You see, the Bible then delivers the most awesome news for any of us death row rebels. Look what he says in verse four. But God is so what? Rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it is only by grace, say only. It is only by grace that you have been saved. Folks, do you understand what that says to us? This is the good news. You see, it says the son of God himself said, I will take the punishment that you deserve. You're the villain. You're the criminal. You're the reprobate. You deserve it. But here's the deal. I, Jesus says, will take your hell. 
I will take your hell. And he did. He died on a cross. He died on the cross to take your place and to take your punishment. You see, that was for you, you wretch. That was for you. But Jesus said, "Mm, I'll take it. I'll take their punishment. I'll take their hell. Can I just share something with you real quickly? I can because you're sitting there and you're listening. Thank you. You could not do anything to pay for your wretchedness. Did you know that? In fact, you can't do anything to get yourself to heaven. It's not by works. God says so. It's not by works. It's not by you coming more. It's not by you giving more. It's not by you memorizing more or singing more or lifting your hands just a little bit higher than your neighbor. It's not about that. It's not about your parents' faith. Did your parents know Jesus? Great. You'll see them one day in heaven if you know Jesus too. It's not based on them. It's based on your response to a God in heaven who sent his savior to die for your punishment. Are you with me today? You see, what will cost you heaven is depending on anything other than Jesus. Anything in addition to Jesus, no matter how Christian it is or how religious it is. I'm telling you, religion has kept some people from heaven. Maybe you're still lost today, like that song says, I once was lost but you're ready to be found. You're blind, like the words to the song says, like Newton wrote, because he declared, I once was lost, I once was blind, but maybe today you say, I wanna see. Hey, listen, then it's time to let God's undeserved love, his amazing grace happen to you. It's time for you to reach out to Jesus and grab him like a drowning person would grab a rescuer. Listen, he is your only hope. He is. He is the only life preserver that you need. He is the only one that can sustain and preserve your life. He is your only hope. Here's the problem. We, we, we gather in, in places like this. We, we sing the song that so many of us are familiar with. It's happened so often in churches The more we say something, the more we take it for granted. The more we talk about grace, the more we talk about the cross, it becomes kind of, can become old hat to us or wrote a routine. Are you with me? If we're not careful, even coming to the Lord's table and partaking of his meal can become routine and rote and we can lose the significance of the broken body and the shed blood for our sins. We can And for some of us today, you hear about the cross, you hear about God's grace, you even know the words to the song, but you've heard it far too long. And it's another Sunday. Why did I ever go today? You see, far too often we're aware of God's grace, but we fail to be amazed by it as deeply as we should. Periodically, I think we all need to stop. We, We all need to reconsider the wonders of the amazing grace of God. Hey church, listen. For grace to truly be amazing, we need to be humbled. We need to know how truly unmerited it 
it is. Listen, you didn't deserve God's love, but he loved you. You were a wretch, but he was your deliverer. You see, that's what grace is. Grace is showing love and kindness to someone who does not deserve it. And aren't we thankful that that's how God operates? You see, he loves people and he saves them even while they are still fighting against him. Grace. It's the central message. It's the heart of the Bible. God's grace. And just let me remind you that it's God that saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It's a gift. You don't pay for gifts. They're given to you freely. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. Hey, listen, if we had the ability to save ourselves, we could boast that we don't need God. But the truth is this, we're helpless before sin and our own good works aren't enough to save us. It's grace that saves us through faith. Aren't you thankful for the undeserved approval of God? This thing called grace. Father, I want to thank you today for reminding us through a song that we've sung hundreds of times from a song that we know from memory, from just a a revisiting of how much you love us. God, thank you. Thank you for the reminder today that although we were so unworthy of your love and your mercy and your grace, Father, you freely gave it. And Father, for that, we are forever grateful. And that's why we stand. That's why we worship you. That's why we come to the table today, reminded of the broken body and the blood of our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for your grace.